As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Today on Quick Slants the Podcast, we put a bow on the mandatory minicamp. Tom Brady serves as the cherry on top of that Sunday, the period at the end of the sentence. All our impressions, all our information vomited up on you today on Quick Slants the Podcast. All right, let's get right after it. Sorry for that visual at the end. I don't write these out. Sometimes what I say just becomes what comes out and goes on to the recording. I was going to say, speaking of vomit. Hey, Phil. Hi. How are you? Good, thanks. Did you have a good mini camp? I enjoyed it a lot. We Me had too. Pretty good weather. First day was kind of chilly. Um, second day was uh, windy. And today was humid. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, overall tenor, I thought. You know, We didn't have a lot of things to look at in terms of how pissed off is that guy at this guy? Where is this guy in terms of a contract issue? Um, so I thought it was really good in terms of just being able to gauge how guys are moving, who's working with who. Um, we can launch into that, or we can get right into the meat of Tom Brady, who we had on Thursday afternoon. I think we should get right into the meat because we have so much to cover because of the reason you just mentioned, really kind of drama-free. So there was so much football to pay attention to, it feels like we have a lot of notes to hit on. I think the people appreciate that sort of stuff. So let's get into the meat of Brady first. You were there front and center peppering the quarterback with questions. What was your primary takeaway from him? Uh, first things first, the trademark flap from this week. Thank God this will be probably uh, doused and put to bed really quickly. Brady had what I consider to be an outstanding explanation. He hates the nickname. I think he's alluded to that before. And he said it was intimated that there were folks out there that he knew on the horizon. We're going to try and leverage that to try and put out some stuff. So he said, you know what? We're going to trademark Tom Terrific and uh, and keep that off the market so that other folks can't do that. Playing defense. Playing defense. Uh, said he regretted the way things went, lesson learned, and I think that he wishes to have that back. We don't know whether he has pulled back on the trademark offer. Hell, if he's uh, if he's really market savvy. Uh, maybe you go ahead and, and do some kind of tribute to Tom Seaver with what you just trademarked and pass in on any kind of dividends to the Tr- Seaver family. Mm, really spin this thing on its head. Because what ends up happening is, and that's exactly the phrase you used, Phil, spun. Because what we it got spun on him. And what we've seen happening today is there is still plenty of holdouts saying, yeah, I'm not buying this necessarily. Uh, not only that... He isn't trying to put a positive spin on it, but also whether or not it's even legal to do this. A number of people on my Twitter machine have said, I don't think you can trademark something and then just squat on the thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess at this point, though, now that he has come out and said what he said, I mean, he really can't come out with anything now. <laughs> like, he, That's right. like, that would just be, we're talking about bad looks all week when it comes to this, and Tom Terrific and Tom Seaver, and Tom Seaver's not doing great health-wise. 
that would be the ultimate bad luck if after telling everybody, yeah, I actually hate it and we're never going to use it. We're just trying to prevent others from using it. If six months from now we see baseball caps with Tom Terrific and Brady's face on there somewhere. So I think at this point it's essentially squashed, whether you can legally or, or not do what he says he's going to do or not do what he says he's going to do. I have no idea. I guess we'll find out from people like Michael McCann and others who who look more closely into these things. But at this point, he can't do anything with it. So whether he pulls it back, whether he keeps it and doesn't do anything, I think the the gist and the period on the end of the sentence as you uh, just use that same phraseology in your intro uh, is that we're not going to see any Tom Seaver uh, or Tom Terrific, I should say. It's here. just, but you know, it's just the determination of people to take offense especially not just take offense because I understand why. And I had the same reaction. Like, why, what do you have to trademark Tom terrific for? I mean, don't you have enough stuff to, to make money from this was prior to my understanding what his expl- explanation was. But even now that the explanation has come down the line first, um, there was the outrage and I kind of got it, but it's not that he's generally just not a slimy individual as near as I can tell. And even after the explanation, there's a lot of, yeah, well, We'll see. I don't buy it. He's just not a sinister guy. It's just not in his general makeup. And and I think we have two decades worth of information in the public eye, is extreme an extreme public eye, to, to say, okay, what we have here is a pretty exemplary human that's probably in the 90th percentile of good dudes. Okay. Certainly higher than me up that damn percentile list. Probably higher than a lot of us, for sure. Let's get into Thank how you. he looked on the field and if Thank there was you. anything else he said in that back and forth with reporters today that really stood out to you. Uh, I know there were some questions about his contract yeah, as well, which still hasn't him, been done. Asked him about his contract, whether that was an issue or not. Um, he said he's not paying attention to it. Snapped jokingly at Mike Giardi to mind his own business. Mm, jokingly? Kind of. Are we sure? Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, it was Giardi. I've seen people pissed off at Giardi before, (laughs) including the person I'm looking at right now, including this particular reporter, this journalist over here. This humble reporter. Uh, And I didn't think Brady was pissed. No. But he did want a short circuit. Look, I haven't talked about my contract in the past. I'm not going to do it now. But again, as we use in the media parlance, it's worth asking. You you can't get the answer if you don't ask a gosh darn question. Miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So we took that shot. Uh, explained once again why he wasn't around. Says he's got a busy family life. I'm buying. I understand it would be preferable if he was around and why the question resurfaces because it's not without merit. Would the team be better if he was throwing to Nikhil Harry and Matt Lacoste on the regular? Probably. Is he going to do that? No, he's kind of pissed on his territory as term in terms of this is family time. Well, and his argument would be if I get my family time, will be a better team later because I won't have that feeling in my chest or whatever it is that would be bothering me because I I missed that time earlier and I feel more worn down emotionally uh, or psychologically later in the season because I didn't really have the opportunity to unplug and spend the family time I wanted to spend in May and June. Yeah, or what's going to happen in probably around July 20th, he's going to unplug, uproot, and say, see you later, G. I got to go to work. And if she hasn't had the time to do from February to July, what a pretty successful businesswoman who's pretty active in the limelight also, uh, it's going to cause angst. And I know 
and I'm sure you know, I don't want to speak on your behalf, that your mind's never really totally clear when there's trouble, when, when, there, when there's a cloud over the house. You just aren't in a good, as good a mood. You're just not, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. A yeah, bit. sure. Cloud at the house means you're bringing part of that cloud with you during the day. And you're probably going to be a little bit cantankerous. It's like the inverse of that happy wife, happy life saying, right? 100%. So there you go. Um, Brady on the field, Tom, I thought looked fine. Looked like Tom Brady. Uh, you mentioned there was a windy day, kind of driving the ball through I the wind so too, on occasion. Yeah. Early on day three, had a couple of, I wouldn't call them wayward throws, uh, but had a pass, deep pass to Julian Edelman that was broken up by Jonathan Jones. That might have been a little under. I, listen, we're picking nits in early June if the ball is not six inches in front of the receiver uh, and is instead right on his shoulder pads. But uh, he looked fine. I didn't see any signs of, wow, he really should have been at OTAs because he sucked this week. And it's funny. We're not even discussing the notion of here's a forty, almost 42-year-old player. We don't even talk about the relative arm strength. And I know it was a topic at times last year um, and accuracy, but I think that was borne out by what was around him. You know, Peyton Manning at this point you know, had already had a shoulder certainly was out of the NFL, I think, by 42. But, you know, it was a problem. It was a problem for Peyton Manning in 2013 when they came to Gillette Stadium, you know, and tried to throw in the wind. And I they, couldn't feel his hand right. at the end of his career. You know, Brett Favre. I mean, we can go on and on through the great quarterbacks who played to the brink of 40 who showed diminishing returns. And then you have Brady and Breeze who are 40 and 42 or co- closing in on 40. And I can only speak about the guy I'm watching. We don't even talk about whether or not we can measure or mark a lack of arm strength. We don't talk about it because we don't see it. We don't see obvious underthrows. We don't see the ball wobbling on some of the, the deeper throws, even in warm-ups. You know, it's not like he's throwing a dozen passes 30 yards or more down the field in team situations, but in warm-ups you'll, you'll even see it. And the ball looks fine coming out of his hand. It looks fine by the time it gets to its target. So it's really... Not a topic of conversation. Some of the targets then that he was throwing to, let's yeah. get into that with first the first-year skill position guys who are involved. We'll get to Sony Michelle, Damian Harris in a quick second. But Nikhil Harry, uh, as we've told you all week, he split out and worked separately with James White, um, Ben Watson, and Brady on a couple of different occasions. He's got just a huge body, great radius, and unbelievable, I think, core strength because some of the acrobatics he can do in the air. What did you see, Phil? Um, because you were keyed in on his mixed bag yeah. performance. Yeah, he put uh, those acrobatics on display, I thought, on day two, end of day two, made sort of a one-handed stab on a pass from Brian Hoyer in the back of the end zone, falling, bobbling, catching before he hits the ground, and the offense goes crazy. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't up and down, I think, three days for Harry. Part of that is because... He saw a lot of Stefan Gilmore in the, the few competitive practice periods we saw. And that's a tough matchup for anybody, especially a rookie. Um, but we also heard, and while we can't relay exactly what was said from, from people like Brady or Josh McDaniels uh, on the field, we heard Nikhil Harry certainly getting some constructive criticism mm-hmm. from those guys over the course of the week. Um, but whether it was in those sessions that you mentioned, typically there's special team stuff going on, and Brady will, will have a couple of his uh, his receivers that he really wants to work closely with in the red zone doing some stuff there. Or today, I thought it was interesting, Brady and Hoyer off to the side with Josh McDaniels, 
and two rookie receivers. Harry was one, and the undrafted guy, one of the undrafted guys, Jacoby Myers was the other. It was just the five of them. And Josh McDaniels really, it looked like, working with those guys on the depth of their routes. And it was very precise, and there was one play where Brady threw it looked, you know, through behind Harry by a yard or two, and mm. Harry didn't even have a chance to even touch the thing. And there was a conversation between he and McDaniels. The route has to be this, not that. And then the next play, he does it the right way. Everybody's happy. Brady gives him an attaboy. McDaniels gives him an attaboy. Those are the kinds of things that are really going to to highlight Harry's offseason, spring and summer, because those are the kinds of things that he probably didn't have to do in college, which is right. adjust his route based on – the guy in front of him and how he's playing, which was what McDaniels was doing. McDaniels was that defensive back. Okay, if I play if I play off as soon as the ball is snapped, what do you do? Versus if I try to stay in your hip pocket, what do you do? What is Tom seeing? What should you be seeing? That sort of stuff, I think, is, is going to take him a while to adjust to. Yeah, because at every level of football, post-Pop Warner, and even then, too, you're going to have timing routes where the ball is going to be on its way before you get there. And especially when it's coming with this velocity and the number of players who are so talented at defensive back, you got to be at nine if you're supposed to be at nine. If you slow down at nine and end up at ten and a half, you're going to have to make an acrobatic catch. And that's what's interesting, too. Some of the catches that he made during that drill um, were reaching. And then afterwards, you'd hear nine. It's got to be nine. Not 11, nine. Don't slow down at nine. Stop at nine. And yeah, he can make up for some of his mistakes because he does have that catch radius. Right. Right. But they want him they to can't be, have, yeah. have his feet in the right spot so he doesn't have to make that difficult catch. And it was funny just to hear Brady as, as the coaching was going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Positive so, reinforcement's good, too. Yeah, and he's a diligent player. But, my God, as you pointed out, Stephon Gilmore in his face, Tom Brady on uh, rep after rep, Josh McDaniels there, Julian Edelman in his face, Troy Brown, Dion Branch. You got a guy who was getting off the school bus three years ago. Um and now this is where he is. As Brady alluded to, it's a lot for a 21-year-old individual to have to do. It's a lot, and I found it interesting this week to watch his reaction when things didn't go his way, which was frustration. It was clapping because he was pissed because he maybe wasn't in the spot he was supposed to be or he didn't catch a pass he thought he should catch. There was one play at the end of the first day where he kept his – I wrote about this. He kept his face down in the turf and slapped the turf a handful of times because it had been a long day with a lot of missed connections between he and Brady. And he's a guy – we talked to Charlie Fisher on the Next Pats podcast right after Harry was drafted, and one of the things he said about Harry was, listen, he's a guy who who wants so well – so wants so badly to do well in practice that he gets pissed if he if things don't go his way. And we saw a little bit of that, and I talked to him the next day, and he said, yeah, that was kind of what was coming out there. Um, and I think in some ways, even though it didn't look great on the field, I think in some ways that big picture, that's a good thing because there's a long list of guys that this team has seen over the years that have treated practice, even spring practices, like it's the Super Bowl, whether it's Brady or whether it's Julian Edelman or whether it's Rob Nakovich or whether it's Malcolm Butler. And those guys have obviously had a lot of success. Now, the one thing those guys were that Harry is not were either undrafted or late-round draft picks, guys that had real chips on their shoulders that had to do that because they were not guaranteed roles early in their careers. And I think that Harry at least looks like he has a similar sort of approach as a first-round pick is a really good thing. No entitlement there. Uh, especially if you're, you're going to be lining up in the same 
were in the same meeting room with Julian Edelman, who's a seventh round pick who had to, you know, fashion himself into a receiver who would, you know, crawl through, you know, 30 feet of shit to just catch one pass, who actually staked out Brady for two summers in Southern California and got one phone call just the first year to get a call. just to get a call. So, you know, I think that Edelman is always going to carry that chip on his shoulder. It's going to be evaluative of, oh, okay, it must be nice to be 6'4", 225 and a first-round pick. But you know what? you got a long way to go to even be close to what I am. But he is already, Edelman has, just talking to him, embraced the way Nikhil Harry's going about his business. Next guy up, um, among these rookies who are first-year players, we can call him first-year because half of them redshirted from 2018. Who do you want to hit on? Um, well, we mentioned Myers briefly, but he's an interesting guy, the undrafted guy at NC State. Um, I thought he showed a little bit more. I thought it was interesting that he got pulled aside to be in that group with Brady and Hoyer. They don't usually do that with guys that they don't think have a chance. I saw Nick Casario on day one talking with Myers at length. And so it seems like they feel like he at least has some promise. He's sort of a bigger uh, slot receiver, so somebody to keep an eye on during training camp. I thought he and Jarrett Stidham actually – actually had the sort of connection of the day on day three where Stidham floated a nice pass, led Myers in the back corner of the end zone, um, and he had to run to a spot and, and get there, really accurate throw and a good good route by Myers for a touchdown. But how about Braxton Berrios? Did you like what you saw from Braxton Berrios this did, week? Did and was a card-carrying uh, non-member of the Braxton Berrios brigade. Did you need a card for that to yeah. be a non-member? Wow. Yeah. Uh, Braxton Berrios Haters Club. <laughs> I was a charter member, and I got a bunch of people on that with me. Um, so I've actually had to – we haven't had a meeting all week because mm. Braxton Berrios looked really like he made the improvement that I wasn't sure. And the reason I wasn't a Braxton Berrios guy is whether it's Amendola or Edelman or any of those players who are smaller and have to be unbelievable change of direction, get separation suddenly kinds of guys, he was not that. He was closer to Riley friggin' McCarron than he was to Julian Edelman 09 version last year. But, Phil, him and Ryan Davis are going to have a good battle, Ryan Davis being the rookie from Auburn who was Stidham's main target. Your thoughts on those two dudes? Right. We both like Ryan Davis. It looked to me like he didn't get a ton of opportunities um, with the first couple of teams, so still waiting to see a little bit more from Ryan Davis. But Berrios had the catch of minicamp on day one. Deep down the field, we think of him, again, as a traditional slot guy, and that's probably what he will be. Uh, but ran her out deep down the right sideline. Great throw from Brian Hoyer. Berrios lays out full extension. Team goes crazy. There's there's uh, two defensive backs, I believe, in pretty tight coverage on Berrios, but he still comes up with the catch. So uh, a good start to 2019 for him after losing all of 2018 and, and now really having a as, – as challenging as it has been for the Patriots to fill out this receiver position group this year. I mean, you look at it – What do you think of Mo Harris? Not a first or second year guy, but new to the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, you look at it and, and there is going to be some real competition there because there's Berrios, there's Dontrell Inman, who we've talked about before, though he had a very quiet three days. I thought Maurice Harris – may have, of the guys that we're not sure will make the team, may have had the best week of any of them. It felt like every day he made a play, was getting behind defenders, was going up and high-pointing the football. He's a bigger guy, taller guy, 
uh, but we saw him spend some time in the slot, and he's talked about that, how he's pretty comfortable with that. He's somebody who did not have a blazing 40 time uh, coming into the NFL, but did have a very good three-cone time, and so that would indicate pretty good change of direction, uh, pretty good flexibility, and so if they do want to use him inside, he might be a threat in there. And if everybody around the league, Tom, is using small corners to focus in on that slot position, maybe it's worthwhile, whether it's Jacoby Myers, who also is about six foot two, um, or Maurice Harris, might not be a bad idea to use a bigger body in there in the slot, ends up uh, maybe being a pr- pretty productive guy in this offense. I thought Harris was really one of the quote-unquote winners of the week because we've done a bunch of 53-man roster projections. He wasn't on any of mine. He will be on my next one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not that he showed anything that the team didn't know about, but for those of us following the team and haven't had a chance to watch these guys play together, I thought he he really showed that he's going to make some noise this summer. Three quick observations before we skip on down off of these guys. Duke Dawson got a ton of time. Phil liked what he looked like. Ryan Izzo, second-year tight end. He's going to be in a battle with a bunch of other guys to try and and make the team in his second year. Seventh-round pick from Florida State. Uh, Upbraided a little bit by both Dante Skarnecchia and Josh McDaniels during a goal-line running um, drill that went on forever, and they were just trying to get the fits right with the blocking, and if Ryan Izzo can't get in the right spots to block, eh, again, it's June, early June, so he's got time to make it up, but that didn't look that awesome. Um, and I also wanted to talk not about Duke and not about, How about Ryan winner? Izzo, but... How about the winner? Isaiah Winner. Thank you. Go Winning ahead. with Winner. I He did not participate in team drills, so he was not out there for... And it's like, who cares? It's There's no pads, it's minicamp, Offensive line, not exactly a focus this week. However, thought it was interesting to see when, even though he was not participating in those 11-on-11 periods, he was taking part in offensive line drills, whether it was way on the opposite end of the field with Dante Skarnecki and the rest of the offensive linemen, or they were actually working a little bit closer to us today, Tom. I think you had a pretty close look at him. Uh, But I was watching him closely on Wednesday. He looked fine, pushing around pads pushing around other bodies, driving off his lower half, coming back from an Achilles. He did not look limited in those drills. He was no. he was coming up on his regular turn every time, and uh, it was just during those team periods that he was sitting out. But he looked okay to me. Yeah, in the drills that I had going on right in front of me when I moved down the field a little bit, um, not favoring the, the uh, Achilles, both feet moving quickly, taking on a little bit of, of pressure because they would, you know, holding um, – Holding off guys who were who were rushing, they had pads in their hands, so they had to do the punch. But there's some force there when it was a 300-pounder. Two things I wanted to mention, too. Look, tight end, we'll move on. It is what it is. They're going to be a good football team. But I hate the fact that they were kind of asleep at the switch in the draft since 2016 when so many competent tight ends have been drafted and come into the league. Done on that. I'll bring it up again. when. I mean, you're, I, you're preaching to the choir here. I I'm still angry that George Kittle went in the fifth round. Yeah. Not at the Patriots, but just in general. Like, there's no way he should have been a fifth-round pick. Yeah, and we knew that going into the draft. Those other dudes, Mark Andrews. Who's the dude is over at uh, – Stephen, what's his head? over? No, Herndon. Chris Herndon with the Jets. What did you think of our guy Gerard, former Quick Slants, the podcast co-host, uh, in his coaching – not debut, just but brings it, a ton as far of, as we're concerned. Brings massive energy. Brings massive energy. Brings uh, a vocal um, presence to the – practice field but look he is such an energetic learner and teacher that we've experienced firsthand 
I mean, he and I would spend time talking about books, race, culture, big podcast, diets, whatever. Um, And then football. So he is just an unusual human. And to the the reverence with which guys like Dante Hightower, Matt Slater, and Bill Belichick talk about him means that while we say, look, it's hard without Gronk or Chad O'Shea or Jack Easterby um, and the number of different guys who've gone out that are missing, Brian Flores, he's not going to come in and be those guys, but he'll be something different. And nothing has to be the same as it was. It's not always a one-for-one. But it's going to be interesting to watch this group develop. Like, did you get the aura of a fun camp? Um, a fun three-day period? Because I got the aura of a fun yeah, three-day I did. period. There were, there were some good celebrations after touchdowns. There was some good competition between the offense and defense in terms of jawing at each other. Mayo is just constantly making noise on the sideline, either encouraging guys or letting them know when they've screwed something up. Um, so I did. I did. Now that you mentioned that, I hadn't thought of it that way. But uh, I think it was an enjoyable three days for, for people that were here. I think Bill Belichick looked pretty at ease to me throughout the three days. Um, so interesting um, as far as that goes in terms of just the general air of the thing. Mayo, it should be noted, uh, was also somebody who was, as the as the inside linebackers coach, communicating to the inside linebackers, uh, Juwan Bentley oftentimes, to then relay the play. So does that mean that Gerard Mayo will be the quote-unquote play caller when the regular season rolls around? We'll see, obviously. We'll obviously get a much better idea of who's doing what when the preseason games uh, come around and, and guys are wearing headsets and all that. But it would not shock me, Tom, if Gerard Mayo was calling defensive plays for the Patriots this year. Would it shock you? Yeah. It would shock you. Because here's how I look at it. Calling plays, quote-unquote calling plays. Is he making the decisions on what plays to go with on a series-to-series basis? Maybe not. Maybe that's Bill Belichick. But I just think the voice in the ear of Juwan Bentley or Dante Hightower, whoever's there, is either the okay. defensive coordinator or last year it was the linebackers coach, Brian Flores. All and right. so for that reason, it wouldn't be a total um, shock if Gerard Mayo was that voice. I just wonder how much has changed in the last three years since he's been out there, if he would be doing it. And you're right. If if there were occasions on which he's got the headphones and he's calling shit in, um, as he was with Flores and probably wasn't as much with Patricia, Belichick might be four or five strides away as opposed to 25 strides away. Mm-hmm. But that's the one – I tell you, man, one of the coolest things about watching Belichick, and I have these kick-ass binoculars, and I train them on Belichick sometimes because, let's be honest, get as much eye time of one of the greatest coaches who's ever done it as you can. He doesn't say – he is quiet 90% of the time. He's not talking. He's not coaching in between things. He's just taking it all in. If he has something to say, it's quiet to the person or the coach. And I think to get back to Mayo, it will be, Joel, what are you thinking here? And then just, that's it. What are you thinking here? Or between series, hey, this is happening out there, so let's make sure we have that taken care of. 100%. Um, so, yeah, the latitude might be given. So uh, that, that'll be uh, something interesting to watch. Also, defensively, I wanted to note this. Yes. As I'm watching, you mentioned it's non-contact. There were some occasions when it was – uh, ones against the ones to see Dante Hightower, Michael Bennett, Danny Shelton, and Lawrence Guy set up as the first four. 
um, coming up field, just on a particular rep. I'm like, holy shit. That's some talent. Some good talent there. Up there. And I guarantee you when you folks show up late July to watch the first few training camp practices that are competitive, it's not going to look good for the offense. <laughs> That's probably going to be true. A lot of and, – and you mentioned a four-man front there. A lot of five-man fronts that I saw. A lot of three-four type of looks there. And usually that doesn't matter, three-four-four-three. But it can't matter in terms of team building and um, roster construction. So if somebody looks like a better off-the-ball linebacker in a 3-4 versus a 4-3 and they're planning on doing a little bit more 3-4 on first down, I think that's something uh, to take note of because Mayo was actually the one who, who convinced me that that stuff still matters even though it is 2019 and people are barely using seven-man fronts as it is anyway. Uh, and you can go back to our Quick Slants, a podcast from last spring where Mayo kind of described why that stuff matters. Uh, Jamie Collins, I thought, looked good. Dante Hightower, a lot on the edge. Jamie Collins on the edge and off the ball. Jamie Collins, to me, looks like he's just so athletic that if you just use him in passing downs, whether it's as a rush guy or a coverage guy, I think he's going to have a real role. Um, at least that's how it looks to me right now. I think he's, he still has a pretty unique skill set, even if it's not quite as impressive as it was the last time we saw him. I think we're going to see Hightower up there in that front line and, and Jawan Bentley. They're going to do everything they can to make him Hightower. Right. The, the the middle linebacker, the next in that Mayo-Hightower line. Um, last thing. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Let's talk about tradition. some of these yeah the, these these uh, Patriots alums that were back at practice this and week. And you mentioned Hightower, and I asked him about that, what it means to have Mayo out there, what it means to have Kevin Falk out there, or Dion Branch. It's because I asked that because Hightower is part of this tradition from the 10, 2010 to 2020 period where he's made these seismic plays and I don't think we know him as well um, or appreciate him as much and it was interesting to hear him talk about how he'll always be part of this place and how he can foresee himself being one of those guys who's coming back and these guys coming back and Matt Slater talked about it he goes this doesn't happen what we have done to look at a drill this week and see defending Super Bowl MVP or whatever, reigning Super Bowl MVP Julian Edelman lining up for a drill with 2003 Super Bowl MVP Dion Branch across from him, or 2004, um, with Troy Brown on the other side of the field lining up across from rookie Nikhil Harry, you have this tradition that is almost Alabama-esque or 50s, 60s, Oklahoma-esque. It doesn't happen. And you have the continuity of coach and quarterback throughout. You can't even say it with Montana and Young. They had to split it. When you talk about uh, the 49ers, it was Bill Walsh and George Seifert. When you talk about the Packers, it was really a 10-year run, not 20 friggin' years. Ben Watson's coming back. This just doesn't happen, as Slater said. So it's just a privilege, again, you know, to, 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 to be front row and watch it. Pretty cool to see and, and just such – how much value, if you're Bill Belichick, do you get out of that? Even though you are Bill Belichick and you have Tom Brady on the roster and all of these young players are going to hang on your every word regardless, to be able to then reinforce that with a Super Bowl MVP or a three-time Super Bowl champ in, in Troy Brown or Kevin Falk, a Patriots Hall of Famer who was here um, or who has been here and helping out with some of the younger guys. It just 
strengthens all of those points that you're trying to make. And they have their own, and Belichick would admit this, they've seen things and experienced things that he'll never be able to articulate in the same way that they will. And that's why he is interacting so often with players. Hey, what did you see in between series linebacker? Like Belichick will say, I haven't been out there. So I can't, I can't tell you what, what they're seeing the same way they can. So there's just a ton of value there to be able to try to keep this thing going, right? Which is something Mayo has, has talked about pretty openly. Part of the reason he was so enticed by this opportunity to come back is because he knows he was part of something special, and, and he wants to see it continue. And so for all of those guys to have a similar approach mm-hmm. and want to continue to grow the thing uh, that they were once a part of, I think is, is pretty unique and, and pretty special. Yeah, and this um, isn't something that, this is the time of year where that's ingrained because the Patriots are calling to, hey, on to next year, we're not looking back. Well, this time of year, you do look back because you have a fleet of new players who are trying to figure out how do I succeed in the NFL. And you can talk to Branch Brown. You can listen to Kirk Ferentz, who was here on Wednesday addressing the team because that's a, one of the longest tenured coaches in, in college, worked with Belichick in Cleveland, has a kid who was a coach here, has another kid who is a player here, what are the things that you need to do to, to succeed here as opposed to other places? It's uh, you, you can talk about in Cleveland about bringing back the glory days and making the dog pound happy, but you can't bring Otto Graham on the field, whereas you can do that with Tom Brady. You can't bring Jim Brown on the field and have him coach. It's current, and it's ongoing it's bizarre and it's the quick slants podcast and we went a little bit a little over but we had a great time and i uh, hope you guys enjoy it phil people got a lot of information there that's about 40 minutes worth of, of mini camp info so now you know everything you need to know there's one more ota session that's open to reporters and then we are off for quite a bit in terms of being able to to have access at these guys um until training camp so hopefully you enjoyed it we will be potting very soon again, I'm sure, so keep an eye out for that. Make sure to be reading all of our stuff on NBCSportsBoston.com and the My Teams app. And, of course, watch all of our programming, Patriots-related and not, on NBCSportsBoston.com. Mm. Mm. Bye, everybody.